podcast yes my name is amelia umpuero i am one of your hosts i am scott amanda i'm one of your other hosts and uh we're uh we're talking movies this week yeah welcome to the weirdest thing oscar uh movie review since you know scotty had was involved in the film industry in a somewhat previous life and yeah. <laughs> I, after we figured our opinions about these things are super important to everybody yeah so this is like this is like <laughs> at the movies with scotty and <laughs> yes very yeah. much which yeah. are with our are we using our bucket of popcorn rating system yeah yeah because okay. i already almost got us uh, sued with the at the movies thing so okay <laughs> precisely um, yeah, so we're going to talk about, like, I think some of the Oscar-nominated movies. I think we have, like, a couple additional thoughts on some of the movies we've already talked about. Right, we talked about um, Oppenheimer and Barbie. Barbie, La- um, The Zone of Interest. Zone of Interest. We talked a little bit about The Snow. Yeah, so I think we were just going to expand a little bit on these things. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about Society of Snow already, and then... yeah. Uh, but then we're going to, like, dive into some of the movies that we haven't talked about so far. Yeah. And then a couple movies that, like, have not gotten, that got, like, a lot of Oscar buzz, but then didn't get any nominations. So. Yeah. And we're really sticking to the best picture category. We're not yeah, yeah, we're really not ver- varying from that. Right. So if you're looking for, like, best sound. Right. Or like, whatever. And, like, I know, really like, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. We're, like mostly like dumb Americans, but like there's a lot of the best international film nominees that I just like, I would love to have had time to watch all of those. And we did talk society of snow of the snow of the snow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, if it was my job, I'd be happy to talk about all of that. If I was getting paid to watch like 80 movies. Right. Like we're not, we're not going to talk about like best documentary short subject or like, I'm sorry. Yeah. We're not, we're, we're not professional film critics. (laughs) Yes. We're we're focusing on the big films. (laughs) So we will be giving a rating and our rating is definitive. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) there we go. Yeah, we are. We like. (laughs) Everything, like what we say stands. Yes, exactly. All right. I'm here in my podcast sweater. We're actually recording during daylight hours. I know. So I don't need to be worried about locking my doors. (laughs) Let's rock and roll. Okay. So, uh, well, we went and saw, I think, so we saw one movie separately and then we saw one movie together. I think we should talk about the movie we saw separately first because I think we have more divisive probably opinions on it. I think the one we saw together, I think we're going to, it's just going to be all raves. So uh, let's start with Killers of the Flower Moon, which we did both watch. Um, And we have not really talked much about our nope. opinion. for one i just finished it like a couple hours ago so yep um and i know like i think i've heard like a couple little asides from you about what you thought about it but we really haven't talked much about it so i guess i'll start with you like what what's your like overall take on the film oh. <laughs> it uh i mean it's a heavy film mm-hmm 
And we had talked a little bit about it because you said that the book, which I also, side note, I also thought the book was much older than I thought the book right. came out in like the 90s or earlier. Yeah, it's like um, 2017 and, or 18. Yeah, or yeah like it came that. out in 2017. And I was like, what? Right. Uh, you said that the book doesn't feel as like heavy as the, as the movie it's, did, but that was also before you saw the movie. Yeah, I will. Yeah. And I will agree. With, uh, what I'll say about the book is that it's got more of a like, it feels much more like a, like a pot boiler than the movie does. Like okay. it's much more of a like suspense thriller. I guess that was the so thing the is that the subject I... matter is still heavy, but right. Like, and I guess that was, um, I guess that would maybe be a critique that I have. And I don't know if it's, if it's supposed to be, but it's, it's just, it's so clear from the beginning what's happening. It's not that mm-hmm. there's any like, who's doing this. Right. It's like, here's exactly who's doing this. Mm-hmm. And perhaps if it had had a little bit more of that, I might've been able to get a little bit more engaged. It's also, it's a long movie. It's yeah, an yeah. over three hour running time, right? Well, it's like three and a half hours. Yeah. yeah it's a long, and I'm, I couldn't tell you exactly what the three plus hours was spent on Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like with oppenheimer i'm still not sure oppenheimer needed to be that long but it was also Mm -hmm. like in the thinking of it i was like i don't but i don't know what you would have cut and this i was like i don't i don't know what all we needed Mm -hmm. and i want to say that with an awareness that like it is an important story to be told Mm -hmm. Uh, but it still felt like i was like i'm not really sure what we spent three and a half hours on right yeah yeah what did you think uh before because i've i've i have a lot of thoughts what did well, you no, think? why don't you come in with your thoughts i don't want to just mean, say I, all I'm my just thoughts like I'm, gonna, I'm gonna like come in pretty hot with my thoughts because i actually kind of hated the film okay like fairly and and he, i'm gonna okay all right i'll just come in hot so like um, I'm going to compare it to The Shining, and everyone knows how I feel about The Shining. <laughs> well, everyone who knows you knows how yeah. you feel about The Shining. Right. Yeah, but I feel like I've talked about it quite a bit. And and here's how I'm going to compare it to The Shining, is I feel mm-hmm. like it, both films are examples of a master filmmaker taking a book, wildly misinterpreting the point of the book, okay. applying their vision to it, and like basically misapplying, like tragically misapplying their talents. Okay. To a source material in a way that does not serve either their talent or the source material. Okay. And I'm I'm all for like I think the movie should be the movie and the book should be the book. I don't, you know, I'm all for like filmmakers should bring their own voice and vision to a subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit trickier when it's something that's based on a true story, but even then, you know, like filmmakers should be allowed to have their own perspective. I have read some criticism from, I will say, more right leaning critics. That okay. <laughs> sorry, insert eye roll there for yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> insert eye roll. Well, and I think, and and I think it's a fair eye roll because I'm. Let me say, I'm not going to endorse this criticism, but but I'm going to. Um, I'm going to I'm going to give the criticism and then say why I like I understand the criticism, but also put my own like take on the criticism. Like basically, they say like the book is much more it's much more of a murder mystery. Like you don't know from the start who the killers are, right? And then as you get into the back half of the book, as the movie does as well, mm-hmm. it, it focuses much more on the FBI investigation, and it really is kind of the book really focuses much more on like this kind of the birth of the FBI. Like, like okay. this case was one of the major cases. Isn't of that kind of like the subtitle of the book too? Yeah, 
Yeah, in this in this case, the the Osage murders was one of the the early cases that really did establish the FBI. You know, mm-hmm. so there's there's a stream of criticism from like more conservative critics that it's like like Martin Scorsese went woke with this, which is like they didn't want to do the like pro FBI story, so they focused on like the like all the white people are villains. And uh, basically, they didn't want to do the quote white savior movie. I think that's like, I think that's like a real reach to say that that's what he's doing. What I think happened is that Martin Scorsese tried to do a Martin Scorsese movie. Like, if you look at like the history of Martin Scorsese doing crime films, is mm-hmm. that he likes to focus on like moral gray areas and amoral characters, and uh-huh. that's what he's interested in. He's not interested in murder mysteries. He's not interested in police procedurals, right? Yeah. Like, watch Goodfellas, watch Casino, watch even a movie like um, The Wolf of Wall Street. He he likes us to like revel in these um like amoral characters doing bad things right yeah and he's done that successfully over and over and over and over again and so that's he tried to apply that lens i think so i don't think it was him being woke i think it was him trying to apply his approach that he's done over and over and over again to Mm -hmm. the story and i think it was just the wrong lens with which to approach the story and yeah i think was there an element of like not wanting to do mississippi burning which is like the worst version of like a white savior like the fbi to the rescue kind of like bullshit (laughs) like yeah like maybe there was an element of like trying to avoid that but that doesn't excuse the like two hours of like watching essentially like goodfellas with a texas accent you know which is what yeah. I, like the and like a bad Goodfellas, like a bad like take on that. Yeah, know? and I think like I had said this to you. I'm I am unsurprised that Leonardo DiCaprio is not nominated for this. <sighs> I I I sorry to Leonardo DiCaprio when you listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think it's maybe some of his worst work. So bad. I, I thought he was bad. terrible. He's terrible. It's really like bad. And the thing is, like, so let's talk real quickly about Lily Gladstone because I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, I thought she was fantastic. I thought Robert De Niro was fantastic. I um, thought Jesse Plemons always. Gr- I like Robert De Niro. I think kind of does what Robert De Niro does, which I watch. I find infinitely watchable. He's he's doing Happy to see it. He's doing what Robert De Niro always does in a Scorsese movie, just with a different accent, and he does it well. He's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, I don't think he deserved an Oscar nomination because I've seen him do this over and over and over again. Is he nominated for this? Movie? I think he is for best supporting. Um, Let me pull up the Oscar nomination. Yeah, double check about. me on that because I want to make sure I'm correct. But I thought I looked that up and was kind of like rolled my eyes at it just because again I feel like I've seen De Niro do this character. To me, he's he's Jimmy Conway from uh goodfellas with a texas accent i can see it i don't 100 i like 87 percent agree um and i think by the and and i think i'm coming in like i'm probably not being fair because i was so irritated by the end of the movie (laughs) like maybe maybe if i had watched this a week ago and had some more time to think about it yeah um, like uh i should have done like you did <laughs> and actually processed it yeah um like i i feel like you know i've just i've seen him do versions of this over and over again and like he was fine he he was good 
I will agree there. It is. It's cool. not. It's not anything that I've been like. I didn't even realize that that was Robert De Niro. You yeah, know what he, I mean? He doesn't. He doesn't. You know. He doesn't break any new ground. But he does. He does a good job. But again, he's like. There's no moment at which you doubt that he's the villain, right? Right. Leonardo DiCaprio is like acting Olympics all the way through, like acting with a capital A, and then he'll be in a scene with Lily Gladstone, and she'll blow him out of the water with like two words. She'll blow him out of the water with like a look. With like a look, exactly. Yeah, she's so. so let's talk about Lily Gladstone. Yeah, and let's she's also by far the best thing in the movie. Let's also acknowledge that there is criticism around this movie for centering for it being a story about indigenous people and mm-hmm. it centering white like the white mm-hmm. men in the story. Right. Absolutely. I think that that's a valid criticism. I did see somebody who was, who was talking about this and I believe this person is, I don't remember if she's an actor or what, sh- what her uh, relationship to the, the movie industry is, mm-hmm. but I think she summed it up best. Cause she was like, is this a perfect is like, is flowers of the killer moon, a perfect movie? No, it is not. Is it a step forward? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where I sit with it is like, mm-hmm is was there a way to like center the story more around the people that it happened to mm-hmm. yes absolutely is it still you know we have an indigenous woman who is now nominated for an oscar for the first time and however like absolutely many- decades absolutely fantastic i really loved her work i can't remember if i was talking to you about this i don't think i was uh i think one of the things that was the most impressive to me about lily gladstone's work is that she had this like throughout the entire movie she had this like shroud of like generational sadness Mm -hmm. you know what i mean which i think would be so easy to turn that into a really like maudlin performance Mm -hmm. but i think what ended up happening is that you saw her reacting to Ernest leonardo dicaprio's character you saw her like living her life and having these moments where it wasn't about this grief Mm -hmm. like other other aspects of herself were allowed to shine through which to me left this like ever-present grief like it it put it in starker relief absolutely yeah, I thought she was, and like, it was just so like, I think it's really easy for people to be like, oh, this is, this is somebody from like a, a group of people who have not only been like marginalized, they've been like historically trampled on and abused and to not allow that person anything other than, than the grief mm-hmm. about that, which is absolutely real and very important part of any character like that. But mm. I just, I thought it was so lovely that she found all of these moments to let something else poke through. And right. like I said, I think it made that sort of permanent grief stand in even starker relief. Like there's a great moment early on when uh, he's uh, driving her as he's like sort of first yep. courting her. Yep. And they're kind of having bantering back and forth and she's kind of making fun of him. And he's, you know, he's he's trying to flirt with her um very awkwardly and she yep. says mm-hmm. something in her language is like i don't know what you did but that must be osage for handsome devil yeah and the way she laughs is so yeah. just you know it's so it's, it's such a lovely moment and yeah. it's probably his one of his best moments yeah like, i think yeah it's it is a hard thing to do as an actor is to because you know you have the script you know how everything ends you've been working on it forever and it's 
like I always I really love when I see actors who really like allow themselves to be surprised by what's happening. Like there's mm-hmm. so often that you see actors that it's like you're just, like I know everything that's going to happen now because you've mm-hmm. telegraphed it from the moment you walked in. And I think Lily Gladstone is really really good at allowing herself to be s- surprised by things as Molly yeah. like good and bad. You right, know what I mean? Like, like you get a sense that he startled the laugh out of her. Yes, yeah. very much so. That like it, yeah. And that's kind like, of the Whoa. moment where he starts to win her over. And like, yeah. And but the problem, and you know, back to the idea of like whose perspective it's on, and and I think it's it's a basic narrative problem beyond just like a representation problem, in terms of centering the the white characters. And again, it works in a movie like Goodfellas, like we're we're centered on these mafia characters because they're compelling. Yeah. And maybe with a different central performance as Ernest, like I think like switch them around, have uh Leonardo DiCaprio come in playing the FBI agent in, in a small role and have Jesse Plemons playing Ernest. Yeah. But and frankly, Jesse Plemons is a better actor than Leonardo Jesse DiCaprio. Jesse Plemons. Je- let's also just say Jesse Plemons is just is across the board fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like and I do want to talk about once he shows up. I do think like once the FBI shows up, actually, I do think the movie does kind of get better. And I do uh-huh. think I wish there was more of that. But I think, you know, so it might have worked better if the problem is Ernest's character doesn't ever make any sense throughout. Like I never under like does he un, like does he know what what is going on? Is he how much is he like? complicit how much is he like like a dupe like it it, like through the end credits i feel like i don't understand him Mm. whereas like henry hill in uh goodfellas or what's his name uh lefty i think in casino de niro's character in casino um like i feel like i understood them you even though they're these amoral characters and you are kind of watching them from the outside right i'm at least able to follow their motivations i'm able to track their thought process yeah i think the thing is with again with somebody like with with a movie like goodfellas one scorsese does us the the solid of like literally saying at the top right henry's like for as long as I can remember, I always, always wanted, to, wanted be to be a gangster. Right. And he talks about how, like, you know, nobody messed with them. They were able to go wherever they wanted, blah, blah, blah. I think the thing that is, like, ugh, in this is that it's, like, it's all about money. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's not even, it's, like, they don't even talk about, like, the power necessarily that you get. Because you're out in fucking Oklahoma. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just sort of like, okay, this is just greed. With with Henry, it's like, it's all about, with Henry Hill, it's all about, like, I always wanted to be a gangster. It's, it's the lifestyle, right? Yeah. It's the power. With Lefty and um, Casino, it's all about the gambling. It's all about, like, the odds, right? Right. Even with in Ernest, Games of New York, you, you've got turf. Yeah, it's turf. Again, and, you've got power. You've got say. You've got sway. Right, exactly. With uh, Wolf of Wall Street, it's all. Mm. It's again. It's all about like the the game of it, right? With Ernest, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he wanted. I, like three and a half hours of the movie, I still don't know what he wanted. And maybe if he would have been like super money hungry, because clearly that's what was going on with Robert De Niro's character, right? Yeah, that's what King wanted. Uh, King Hale, but like. I don't know what Ernest wanted. So he's the central character. And like, so you have this like kind of big sucking void that's again, he's like doing a lot. There's a lot of capital A acting, but there's no motivation that I could understand from the very beginning of the movie. And I think that's just 
that's a structural problem. Whereas if it had been from, which is much more the way from my memory, um, much more the way the book really centers Molly's character and the mystery of like, what the fuck is happening to my right? People? Well, because also too, like, it's not like every one of them is being like, mm-hmm. like executed. Right. It's like all of these different things. So yeah, I probably would have found it more engaging if it was yeah. told from that. From the, yeah. However, so you don't I need will, to necessarily have it be from the FBI's perspective. From the right, I will say, and this is, I think, a a, a like a, a sticky wicket for mm. directors. Right, Martin Scorsese. I don't know how he came about doing this movie. I don't know if he was like, I really fucking love this book, and I've always like, I think it would make a great movie, and I really want to do it, mm-hmm. but. I, as like an Italian-American man, don't really feel like I can do the movie from Molly's viewpoint. And I don't know that I can make that movie and and be the right person to direct it. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that movie needs, at the very least, an indigenous director. Mm-hmm. And the way things work right now, which is obviously not right, but the likelihood of this movie getting made with an indigenous director is slim right. Sure. right and so i wondered if it was like this is the easiest like the, not the easiest this is the mo- most appropriate access point for me to direct this movie that could be but again i mean i don't know and again we don't right know right if that was part of the 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 calculus i i just i suspect it was more and again, just looking at the history of Scorsese films, particularly when he does crime stories, is this is his entry point in crime stories, is it's like he wants to focus on the criminals. So yeah. it's like, I I feel like, to me, I think Scorsese was the wrong director, not because he's an Italian, Italian-American man of a certain age. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's part of it, but it's because... He just historically, I think that was the wrong viewpoint. I I would have, I like if I was if I was to pick another, like just as a for instance, right? If I was if I was able to wave a magic wand and say, right. or if a genie popped out of a bottle and was like, you can pick another old man director from the nineteen seventies, anyone to direct this movie, I would say, okay, I know the guy, Alan Pacula. Okay. Um, now the problem is he's dead. That's why I need the genie in the bottle. But oh, I see. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the thing is, because he, even though yes, he's not an indigenous person, he's you know not a woman. So you know, again, he may not be the right guy, but he knows how to tell a good paranoid thriller because he's the guy who did um, the Parallax View. He did um, all the President's Men. Mm, Later okay. on, he did the Pelican Brief. Okay. Um, like he knows how to tell a, a sober-minded paranoid thriller okay and that's the viewpoint i think we needed so like get into the mindset of the person who's like trying to piece together what the fuck is happening and like Mm -hmm. you start with i think molly and the other people in the tribe and then as the story goes which is again kind of what the book does then you expand it out to the fbi Mm -hmm. and you keep you know Ernest is the supportive husband that is later on revealed to be part of the conspiracy yeah i think i just yeah i i more straightforward way of doing it but yeah i think i just to know from the beginning what's going on and then to be looking down the barrel at a three and a half hour movie it's like Mm -hmm. 
oh man, <laughs> like yeah. what is this gonna be? And again, and I, I, <laughs> I also don't know that it I needed feel, to be three and a half hours. No, <laughs> I don't know that it needed to be three and a half hours. And also, I, f- I do feel bad in saying this because I, I, I don't necessarily love. I know how hard acting is, and mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't necessarily like enjoy tearing down somebody else's work. I just don't think that Leonardo DiCaprio is as charismatic of an actor as you would have needed for this role. No. And I think everybody is kind of still working on the memory of when he was a heartthrob. And I'm like, well, homeboy has not been that in about two decades. I mean, what one problem is, I mean, Ernest was much younger. You know, he's supposed to like just come back from the war. I think when he married um, Molly, he was like 25. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, like, like I, th- I think there's a central problem of it was the wrong director and material and the yeah. wrong lead actor and the wrong I, point of view. I like, will, all, I will say so that it's not just us, you know, like poo pooing it. I did think a lot of the movie was really beautiful. I like. I mm-hmm. I'm I'll be honest. I like was looking at it a lot without really absorbing what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is what I'm left with is much more of like visual impressions of the movie rather mm-hmm. than like emotional thematic mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. impressions. Well, I mean that's the thing. With, and this is again partly why I compare it to The Shining, at least in terms of my experience. And I will say. I'm 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 being harsher probably on the movie than I actually feel about it mm. in the sense of like like I've hated the shining for 30 years. I don't think I'm going to walk away from Killers of the Fire Moon with the, that level of animosity. Right. Um but part of my problem with the shining part of my problem with Killers of the Fire Moon is you see the brilliance in it. Right. You see a brilliant filmmaker who just kind of missed the target. Mm-hmm. And like because Scorsese is a brilliant filmmaker. Yeah. Like, I love Scorsese. Like I've yeah. I'm, I'm a huge Scorsese fan. But you know, he can go wrong. He's fallible and I think he just missed this time. And I think I just think he and and like you know, I was making my kind of argument for like an alan pacula type filmmaker but like i you know i i do kind of think it you know i i wish we were to a point in hollywood where you know and we had we had cultivated an indigenous filmmaker who could have told this story right or a woman you know and like because i'm thinking you know I'm, and i'm not i don't want to go spend a lot of time on this rabbit hole but like you know, we're almost done with season four of uh, True Detective. Mm-hmm. And obviously she's not indigenous, she's Mexican. But, you know, Issa Lopez has taken over from Nick Pizzolato for that. Mm-hmm. And, like, she has basically blown all three seasons that he's done out of the water at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's like even even her, you know, she's not indigenous. But, like, she, I think, would have been a better choice. Because she can do suspense. I think she can. she's shown she can handle this kind of sensitive type of subject matter. Because that show is all dealing very much, the season of that show is dealing very much with indigenous issues in Alaska. You know, mm-hmm. not obviously in Oklahoma. But, you know, so it's like, I think there are a lot of filmmakers that just frankly would have been a better choice than Scorsese. Let me let me pose a hypothetical to you going mm-hmm. along with what I was saying about like, let I, you know, again, I don't know if this was the case, but if you were if you were in Martin Scorsese's position, you have mm-hmm. decades of an illustrious career behind you, lots of power in Hollywood. 
and you come upon a book that you're like, I love this book. I would love to see it made into a movie. And I don't know if I'm the right director for it. Mm -hmm. What do you do? I mean, it's hard when you're Scorsese. Like, how do you know that you're the wrong director for it? This is true. But let's say, let's say that there was a book that you, like you, Scotty, like Mm -hmm. you, you are Scotty, but you have Martin Scorsese's career. Right. Mm -hmm. And you come across, um, isn't there, wasn't there like a horror novel that you read that was written by an indigenous writer that you really loved? Well, there have been a few. What is the one thing you have? Well, like, okay. So for instance, if I was a filmmaker right now, Mm-hmm. And uh, if someone came to me and offered uh, me the opportunity to direct uh, Stephen Graham Jones's The Only Good Indians. Yes, that's the book I was talking about. Um, I'd be like, I would love the opportunity to help produce it just to like get it made. <laughs> like if yeah, I had that's what, And that's what I was wondering is if there's a way to be like, I would love to be involved. I'm not the right director for this. Yeah, well, no, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The novel that I'm writing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm. I mean, I'm going to write and hopefully publish the novel but i don't think i'm the person who should direct it mm-hmm. you know based on the viewpoint of the characters and stuff you know because yeah. there's a difference between writing the novel and then like you know being on set and directing right you know, actors to do certain things because it's a queer love story involving right women you know right it's a, it's a horror romance involving two right. women, and i'm like not a queer woman so right like surprise surprise Uh, we don't mean to shock any of our listeners right so like i don't want to be in like a blue is the warmest color kind of situation of like (laughs) the dude behind the camera being like okay let's change position more lesbians right um you know so i mean again i would like you know maybe help produce it to get it made but i would hopefully you know find someone closer to the characters to, to actually direct it so yeah okay that was my question but i think it's hard when when you are a scorsese and and you've you've been right you know, who's gonna go to, as this genius for so who's long. gonna go to scorsese and be like hey yeah love you you're not the right person to well you know when he when he was first announced as the director i was like perfect Gen- like it didn't occur to me that he was wrong mm-hmm. until i started hearing you know reviews of the movie and being like oh i think think he went the wrong way so i went into this maybe i mean i've talked about went into it skeptical because i'm i was reading reviews thinking like oh i think he like fucked up the viewpoint then when i watched it i was like yeah he fucked up the viewpoint and like so i i'm gonna steal this because like you know like again like the book is such a great tot almost like hitchcockian thriller like it really is a pot boiler and another critic i can't remember who but the way they described it they said the movie is like, rather than being like a suspense movie, it's like a plane circling an airport for three hours, just continually announcing that it's going to land. It did kind of, yeah, it did yeah. kind of feel like that. Beautifully shot, you know. It's beautifully again. shot. It's from a scene to scene basis. It's got some great scenes. I think there's some great performances in there. There you know are some I mean? great performances. Again, like De Niro is good like mm-hmm. solidly good mm-hmm. lily gladstone i mean she's she is my favorite for uh yeah, best she's supporting. my she's my best actor best or best actor but best yeah. actress yeah yeah same but i just think the movie is a mess for me like one yeah, I, i'm gonna say like two bags of popcorn for me what is it out of five five I thought yeah. I think I'm thinking out of five right? i think we did out of five <laughs> yeah okay let's 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 create the convention here it is 
five of the little red and white kind of old timey classic popcorn mm-hmm. little buckets, right? The little like square right. ones, five. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It's like I'd, two. Say, I'd say maybe maybe two and a half. I'm not it's like two and then like like one with like some of the like burnt kernels at the bottom. Okay. So Scotty's giving it a like a two and some some burnt kernels at the bottom. Uh I, I'm I feel decent giving it like a like a I feel good giving it a solid two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's how I feel about it. Okay. Should we All move right. on? Let's move on. Oh, let's move on. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so the one we saw together, American Fiction. Yes, which I feel I'm like, I feel like nobody's really talking. I mean, clearly yeah. people are talking about it because it's nominated for some Oscars. Yeah. But I I feel like it's really. I think it's getting lost in the shuffle. I think it is too. So. Since it is getting a little bit lost in the shuffle. So we give like a little bit of a plot breakdown. Yeah. For people? yeah. So we've got, hold on. I'm going to get to. Oh, okay. So we have American Fiction. Uh, it stars uh, Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross. Oh, what is his name? Sterling K. Brown. Issa Rae is also in it uh, and a host of other people. Um, Erica Alexander plays Coraline. And basically Jeffrey Wright is a, he's like a professor. He's also an author by the name of Thelonious Monk Ellison. Um, mm-hmm. And he writes these books that we are sort of, we're left with the impression that they are not necessarily like black books they are books they're like um, literature like i think they're supposed to be like modern day retellings of like greek mythology or something is that what they are i think i, I read that somewhere it's not ever super spelled out in the movie. right but it's pretty clear that he's like 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 i said he's not really writing like black stories right and uh some stuff happens john ortiz is his agent by the name of arthur mm-hmm. uh some stuff happens he has a book that people are passing on and he is introduced to the work of Sintara golden who's played by Issa ray which is how to put this mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm do you have a way to put what kind of writing she does I mean, it's it's risky for either of us to like right. try to describe it because we're not right. She is writing, I think, what could be described as stories about a very like a very urban black experience. Mm-hmm. A very um, that's how it would be marketed as like urban fiction, right? Yes, and it's what's the title of the book that she's. I'm trying to remember. I don't like, remember. I'm look it up. This is what uh, this is what IMDb says. Jeffrey Wright stars as Monk, a frustrated novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black entertainment that relies on tired and offensive tropes. That's I think that's what we what we can say. Um, he sees Issa Rae's character do a reading of her book, and he deems that to also be tired and offensive tropes and on a lart he writes something that falls within those lines a book which he names my pathology pathology P-A-F. Yeah. yeah paf my pathology and his agent sends it out and it gets picked up and everybody's like oh my god he writes it under a pseudonym basically the entire thing takes off and the movie is about monks yeah. Monk dealing with the fact that he wrote this thing as kind of like a fuck you to the publishing industry. 
mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, D their DEI initiatives only for it to get taken seriously. And he blows up and then he's trying to handle this all the while. So this book, is by the way, yeah? the title of her book is Weez lives in the ghetto. Yeah, that's ghetto. Oh, that's right. I forgot that that's what it was. Meanwhile, uh, while all of this is taking place, all of this stuff with his career in this book and all this stuff, which he basically also, uh, like I said, writes under a pseudonym and then has to basically like assume this persona of like a felon, you know, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, his, his pseudonym is Stag R. Lee. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> while all of that's going on, you see Monk goes back home to Boston Mm. Right. Um, Where he encounters a lot of like family drama. His family is like an upper middle class family. His father Mm. was a doctor. His sister is a doctor. He's a writer. His brother is a plastic surgeon. Mm -hmm. um, And he's dealing with like all of this drama within Mm -hmm. his family and all of these like deep family issues, you know, like. A parent is getting ill and things are changing in that way and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So that's your basic, that's your basic premise of it. So, and and we should say the writer director Mm -hmm. is, is, uh, I believe it's his first film. His name is Cord Jefferson. He uh, started off as a writer at Gawker. Okay. um, And then he went on to write for, as a journalist for like USA Today, Huffington Post, The Root. Uh, New York uh-huh. Times Magazine. Then he went on to write as a staff writer on the comedy drama series Survivor's Remorse on Stars. He wrote for the Comedy Central show, The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore. Okay. He wrote for The Good Place for Master of None. So he's oh, been wow. a TV writer for a while. Um, he wrote, he was a writer and supervising producer on the HBO series Station Eleven. Oh, wow. Um, his uh, debut film is American Fiction. Fantastic. So uh, just a little bit of background on him. Yeah. So how did we feel about this movie? Fucking loved it. Loved like, it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Um, it was not exactly what I expected. I Yeah, maybe. I don't know that I expected anything from it. I think, like, I knew the general premise of it. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm IMDb is showing the scene where they're sprinkling the ashes and the neighbors yeah. coming by. <laughs> yeah. Um, per- are those human remains? Do you have a permit for that? <laughs> he's like, get out of here, Stuart. Um, yeah. So I, I like, I didn't really know what to expect besides the kind of like boilerplate press release Mm -hmm. synopsis i think from having read a little bit about it and having seen the trailer i expected much more of the focus to be on this kind of biting satire like racial satire of like Mm. the fiction industry Mm -hmm. and you know like the the like you said the dei kind of yes initiatives in publishing and you know the white you know, the kind of the white fetishization of black experience and all, and all of that is there. Absolutely. And it, and it is biting and like very funny. Yeah. Yeah. What I didn't expect was like the very human and also very funny, but like very just fully realized kind of family sort of comedy drama and how focus was on that, you know, Mm -hmm. because that it just really wasn't, 
it hasn't been what people have been talking about with the film. It wasn't really as emphasized in the trailers. Yes. You know, so it's like, that was kind of a pleasant surprise to me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a very, like an, like an interesting take on a family drama. I think it's like, I'm, I'm excited to see a movie that is about an upper middle class, non-white family Mm -hmm. that is not about model minority Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it's a complicated family it Mm -hmm. like it is not that anybody is wholly good or wholly bad you know i mean i remember when the cosby show came out it was a really big deal because the huxtables were a doctor and a lawyer and that was a really big deal Mm -hmm. and granted that was very much a picture of like an idealized yeah it was almost like they were perfect uh, yeah i mean they were they were they were the cleavers you right. know what I mean? Um, and I think what's interesting in this is to see, yeah, this like very real portrait of an upper like, class non-white family. Yeah, like they're sort of dysfunctional, but like kind of gently dysfunctional. And also there's like a lot of love there. Like it doesn't like focus so much on their dysfunction that you forget the fact that like they fundamentally love each other. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's, I think that's absolutely true. I think it, there's a lot of, I think it's like an interesting angle to take this thing of like, you know, there are people in this family who have like some really like fucked up stuff going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. And as much as it is, and that they're like sticking by each other in these really imperfect ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, doing the best that they can that Mm -hmm. put against this like backdrop of this like biting satire like you said mm-hmm. yeah made for like a really great i was maybe with the exception of barbie i think i was the most invigorated after watching this movie than i was any of the other oscar nominees I that i watched laughed harder at this movie than i have in a long time like and i i mean i laughed a lot at barbie but i laughed way harder at american it, fiction and and i think the way that it is done because it does it it takes a lot of like it take it it really takes a lot of whiteness and like (laughs) breaks it over the coals Mm -hmm. and to me i never felt like it was in a way that i was like this is i don't want to say too much (laughs) but it was it it I felt like it did a really good line. It did a really good job of walking the line of like just enough because the white characters that are sort of the stereotypical white characters that you see, the book agent and the, you know, the people on the on the review panel that are part of the contest and everything, they are very stiff, stereotypically white. But it's like we said after we saw it that it's like, well, those stereotypes are stereotypes I for mean, a reason. Like, like I've we, known all of those Yes, you've <laughs> known all of these people. It's not like you're like, this is just mean. It's so deeply rooted mm-hmm. in a truth. Yeah, it's very funny. And, and it's actually not. It's actually, I never felt like it was all that mean to the white characters. I mean, yeah, that like you could make the argument, and I'm sure I have not read the like the conservative critics. I'm sure that there's people out there being like, just woke movie. I like, I, I've got to imagine that that's happening. I actually felt like it could have, it could have been a lot meaner. Oh, yeah. Um, in its satire, I felt like it was like, sort of 
poking at things without ever it never felt polemical to me it never felt like it's not a movie and i mentioned this when we were driving back like if you've ever seen a movie like bamboozled the the spike Uh lee film which is a really dark black comic satire about blackface Mm -hmm. which is and it's a i mean that's a movie worth watching yeah but it is not a fun movie and Mm -hmm. it is very very confrontational yeah no for i think that's a great word this movie did not feel yeah this movie did not feel confrontational no it was like felt like illuminating yeah and i would say it's like tweaking the nose of the white audience you know it's Mm -hmm. like we see you and all you white people like who are here laughing at this movie it's like but we're also we're like we're letting you laugh at this movie (laughs) but we also we we see you yeah yeah (laughs) yeah very much it's 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 not it's not it's letting it's letting the white people kind of laugh at themselves in a way that like i would say like a movie like get out does you know yeah although i I mean even get out is probably more confrontational than this yeah like and and i want to say too because some i know that sometimes there can be this viewpoint that like you know, maybe stuff should be more confrontational. And mm-hmm. I want to be very clear that it's not that he like lets anybody off the hook. No. And I think that that's kind of across, like across the board. I think that there's, I think that there's also like, you know, a good, a good bit of fun of like also gently poking fun at black folks too. You know what I mean? Like in a very loving way, like this is us, this is how we do things. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. This is like yeah. who I mean, we are as a culture. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's he's very like he's certainly not letting uh, Monk off the hook for a lot of pretty bad behavior in terms of yeah. how he is with his family, how he is with his girlfriend, you know. Yeah. Like, but you know, partly through the writing and partly through we need to talk about Jeffrey Wright, like Jeffrey yeah. Wright's performance. Like you never are not on Monk's side. Even when Monk is being an absolute shit, you're kind yeah. of, you're always rooting. And same with his brother, and I'm forgetting his the character's name, uh, the brother's name, was Sterling K. Brown. Um, I'll tell you he's right also now. kind of an absolute shit in some moments, and you're always rooting for him too. Yeah, Clifford. Clifford, Cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the way I feel like it is with most of its characters. You know, even yeah, I- Golden, where it's like. Yeah. it could be could have been pretty vicious towards her but it gives her you know it allows her her moments to like kind of elucidate her own viewpoint on things you know? yeah and i would say monk i feel like you get a pretty good idea who arthur the agent is mm-hmm. you know i think you get a, a a good idea of cliff the siblings of that family mm-hmm. um everybody who's sort of involved with that family the girlfriend the housekeeper they they have like full robust like their characters are pretty fully developed i will say probably like the stereotypical white folks are pretty two dimensional but again I think that's very much on purpose. And even saying that with like Adam Brody's character, Mm -hmm. there's still some stuff in there that is like surprising and like exciting. And, um, uh, is he the movie producer? Yes. Yeah. Well, again, like, I think I told you, it's like, yeah, he's two dimensional. Except I've met that guy. Yeah. And like, he's pretty spot. And that's the thing with like, yeah, you could say they're two dimensional, except they're like there's absolute truth in those stereotypes. Yeah. So like, yeah. 
you know, and the movie's not about them. So it's like, do we need like full like scenes to like. I think that's exactly the point. I mean, I think they're about as two dimensional as any characters who have that those roles, yeah. you know, in, in any story. They're they're secondary tertiary characters. And again, even being sort of two dimensional, I didn't feel like they were like their depictions were mean. Like I'm mm-hmm. sure there are people out there who are gonna complain about that, but I didn't feel like they were mean. Like I said, right. it's sort of tweaking the nose of those characters, but right. Let's uh let's talk about Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright, I know he will not win, but Jeffrey Wright is my pick for best actor. Yes. I uh, agree. Hands down. Yeah, and I think we we might have mentioned this already. Like I think we both liked Cillian Murphy's performance in Oppenheimer, but neither of us was like, "Whoa, oh my god, our life has changed from having watched this." Like Yeah, and I don't know that uh, I will say I don't know that and again, Cillian Killian Somebody let us know what the actual pronunciation of this is. Um, (laughs) I don't know that there was anything in his performance that I was like, oh, wow. Like I am, I'm surprised by this. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is a side of him that I have never seen before. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he did very solid work, but like, I think Jeffrey Wright. I mean, to me, he's absolutely the most deserving of of all the actors I've seen. Yeah, in that category. I, I will say I well, sorry, my computer like something popped up on my computer and then went away, and I was like, mm. uh oh, because let's look. Our our nominees for actor in a leading role are Bradley Cooper for Maestro, which we already know how Scotty feels about this. Paul Giamatti for the holdovers. Which I can, I can talk about in a minute. Like, yeah, Murphy for Oppenheimer, Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have not seen Rustin. Yeah, so I can't. I don't know how, but I have heard great things. And also, I will say also this I'm just, Coleman Domingo is bringing such, and I mean this in the best, I mean this 100% as a compliment. He is bringing the cuntiest energy to his red carpet looks like it is so cunty the way he is showing up on these red carpets i i I am like living for it (laughs) he is like we are bringing fashion we are bringing color we are bringing accessories like i know that i am a man but you will not tell me that i cannot show up on this on this red carpet looking fabulous so for those reasons alone part of me is kind of rooting for him as well but i will also say jeffrey wright is just has just been quietly excellent in every single thing he has done never been bad it isn't uh and then the other nominee is mike ruffle right no oh no he's supporting is he supporting I think he's supporting from Portia. He's supporting, which okay. we're not, we, Scotty and I are not going to talk about or see the sexy baby movie. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's so funny. I've been talking sidebar, side, quick sidebar about poor things. Scotty and I both were like, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't, um, we don't yeah. like it. We, we're not interested in it. And then I've been talking to a fair amount of other people that are also like, I don't want, I don't. Is something about it is icky. And I'd mentioned to Scotty that I had seen a podcast with two women who were talking about it and they were like, poor things is just the next in a long line of sexy baby movies, which is essentially a human being who has the physical body of a grown woman, but the mental mm-hmm. capacity of a child. And then what happens is that they're, you know, they're 
introduced or they meet or whatever this essentially mediocre man who <laughs> because she is mentally a child this mediocre man becomes godlike to her mm-hmm. and i don't listen if that's not what poor things is about cool awesome that's the vibe that i get from the trailers and i'm not into it but i've mentioned that like thesis to other people and they're very much like that is what it is that is why i don't mm-hmm. want to see it so i'm just saying if you liked if you watched the sexy baby movie and you liked it good for you i mean a big part of i mean there's that also, I just don't like that director, Yorgos Lanthimos. I've seen, I've yes, tried with him. He's done, he did um, The Lobster, he did Dogtooth, he did, Okay. He, he's just like, every time I've tried to watch one of his movies, I turn him off about halfway through and I'm just like, I don't know what I was supposed to take from that, but everything you're serving to me, it, it's like, here, eat this like peanut butter, jelly, anchovy and vomit sandwich because it's art. Like, no, I don't want your vomit sandwich. Somebody's going to be like, um, I really like a peanut butter anchovy yeah. vomit well, sandwich. En- enjoy your vomit sandwich, but keep it away from me. <laughs> no. Yeah. All of that to say, I would really love for Jeffrey Wright to be recognized for his work mm-hmm. in this movie. I think it's fantastic. He's, yeah. I mean, the, the, the amazing thing about him in this movie, and it's really about him and like just about everything I've ever seen him in. Mm -hmm. that you watch what he's doing and it doesn't seem like he's doing very much like just compare him to what leonardo dicaprio is doing like flailing around fucking accents like fucking scrunching his fucking leonardo dicaprio face up like he i felt like Like, i felt like he was really um he was leaning on those prosthetic teeth pretty heavily Um, yeah well i'm just doing his like weird fucking like pinchy face thing like like i just all of it none of it worked but it was a lot a lot of whatever he was doing but none of it worked and then like everything jeffrey wright does in american fiction is so like seems like nothing kind of like lily gladstone like seems like he's not doing anything and yet every moment is believable it's robust it's robust like every little gesture from his body every little tick of his face is 100 in character Mm. like you said he's not doing a lot of like crazy character work it's not like he's disappearing and you don't see jeffrey wright anymore no i I, believe this person yeah my my thing with jeffrey wright is and we've talked about this in regards to some other actors Mm -hmm. um i can never see the work with jeffrey wright Mm -hmm. i never see the work and i think like the the, a, a good way to like sort of put that in opposition is to say most of what I saw from Leonardo DiCaprio was the work. You just said way smarter than what I just said in a lot more <laughs> words. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a no, th- it's a thing. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's a thing that I've like I I get looks about this a lot, but and it's not all the time. It's not all the time with her. But I feel like a lot of time I can see the work with Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Like I can just see the gears turning. I can sure. like see. Yeah, I can just I can see the work. Jeffrey Wright. I can't see the work. Every person that he plays feels real and fully formed yeah. and incredibly thought out, but I'm not seeing the the thousands of choices right. that are going into making that character. Yeah, and I think and again, I think that's why like Lily Gladstone was such a breath of same. fresh air in uh Killers of the Flower Moon. It's it's same. very much the same kind of thing where it's like you don't have to be doing a lot of like 
capital A acting because mm-hmm. it's just so just dialed in. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what is our what's our rating for American fiction? I mean, it's a five. It's yeah, five I feel pr- I feel pretty good. Buckets for me. <laughs> <laughs> Little pieces of popcorn flying out. Yeah, it's like you're, you're carrying them to your seat and it's all <laughs> spilling over. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's pretty good. And I feel like to go into like two of the other a little bit to go into the two of the other movies we said we were going to talk about if we're good to to walk mm-hmm. away from American fiction. I feel like I just Ameri- have one other comment on it. So okay. you can I don't no, go for it. That. And then I'll no go for it. And then I'll I'll transition us. No, I just want to say like, and I don't want to spoil anything, but just a very quick little note about the end of American fiction mm-hmm. is like so it kind of starts to move in an almost like meta fiction. So like, well, I guess what I'll say is like, you know, if I'm to compare American fiction to to other movies, uh-huh. like, you know, and we talked about this, it's like, it kind of reminded me of like a movie like Sideways, you know, yep. like tonally a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then it moves in this almost like meta direction that almost reminded me of like a movie like Adaptation a little bit. Uh-huh. And like when it started to move in that direction at the end, I was like, where are you going? I don't know about this. Uh-huh. I was like, you better stick this landing because right. you're you're doing something now that you have not like introduced. And like if you if you're gonna go here, you better pull this off. Mm-hmm. And for me, it 100 percent pulled it off at the end. I absolutely agree with you. I will say that I was talking to somebody else about this movie, and they said that the ending and there's one other scene that actually does this which may have been mostly well y- you went to the bathroom at one point but it's the scene when he's writing the book and he has <laughs> the two characters in there that is also sort of in that vein yeah. and this person was like i loved that convention so much that i had i kind of found myself wishing that there was a little bit more of that throughout the mm. movie i guess it does kind of set it up there and maybe that you could say like Maybe it's a little it's a little, a little it's a little breadcrumb you know what mm-hmm. i mean um i also don't know i don't know where else you would have put it mm-hmm. and I, if it had more maybe i'd feel absolutely fine about it but maybe it would have been gilding the lily it, yeah it could have been it was just it's one of those it's like that you know it took a it took kind of a big swing at the end that like <laughs> that's a risk that's a risky direction to take things and it's like mm-hmm. if you don't pull that off like the whole house of cards could collapse. And I felt yeah. like 100% pulled it off. I don't want to say any yeah. more about it than that because I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But uh, absolutely would, stuck the landing. That's where it's like it went from like four and a half buckets of popcorn to like five overflowing buckets. For me. Yeah. All right. So anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no worries. But moving from American fiction into the other two movies that mm-hmm. we were going to talk about, which are sort of like the we we were sort of like, let's take a look at, you know, the the movies that are up for for best film. Mm-hmm. And I think American fiction did a great job of not necessarily being this like fucking blockbuster movie. Don't right. get me wrong. I love the Barbies. I, you know, I right. have nothing against a movie like Oppenheimer. I have nothing against a movie like Killers of the Flower Moon, where it is like very clearly like this is an Oscar movie. Right. But I kind of love that there is room for movies like American Fiction. And I think the la- the last two Oscar movies, I think, that we are going to talk about, which is The Holdovers and Past Lives. Mm-hmm. Like, I... It's that kind of mid-budgety, not quite yeah. an indie movie. Yeah. You don't see not, a lot of anymore. 
Yeah, that it's not this like, you know, indie darling movie. It isn't this like gigantic Oscar mm-hmm. Beatty picture, but it's just some, like you said, kind of middle budget, you know, sort of like $20 million range kind of. Yeah, like it's got people that you know in it. It's it's a story about people, right. <laughs> you know, not some like big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that there's and there's a decent amount of those. Mm-hmm. In you know we've got past lives, the holdovers, American fiction. I mean, even I would I probably say fits that category. I would not <laughs> just because it's a big biopic. That's true. Biopics kind of are their own sort yeah. of category. Yeah, but I would maybe put Anatomy of a Fall in there. Like I didn't yeah, well, see it's it, a, but it's a foreign foreign films kind of also fit their own category a little bit. Mm-hmm. In past lives, I'm not sure where the funding for past lives comes from because I know. The the filmmaker I believe is Canadian. Oh, interesting. Okay, um, I think she's Korean Canadian. So I'm not okay. sure if that kind of fits the like international. Yeah, I'm not sure where the funding came from. So yeah, but even still, it's not like you know, like oh, this big like global event, and you know, right. they're, they're like these like sort of middle range, yeah, movies that are like deeply human. Well, and that is one thing that I think you know people kind of lament the like you know the streaming you know the rise of streaming the demise of like the theatrical experience blah blah Mm. blah but i'm like this is actually like where i think the industry maybe this is like uh the positive like if i'm to be like optimistic about where the industry is gonna go sure as covid kind of kicked hollywood in the crotch as far as box office and yeah. like marvel's not doing so great you know like mm-hmm. the big the big blockbuster movies are kind of really struggling and like that business model that we've been kind of stuck in for the last you know 10 15 even 20 years of like big event movies comic book movies you know star wars everything you know all the freaking prequels and sequels right blah blah that may be kind of coming a little bit to an end and then you know you know like a movie like Saltburn or maestro even though i'm like not super happy about maestro but like you know netflix and amazon and hulu like they have the ability to like okay we're gonna move into like a few screens for a little bit and then it's gonna go to streaming well that's yeah. not diff- that's not that fundamentally different to me than like the indie boom of the 90s where it's like we'll have like a small theatrical run and then it goes to video yeah and that's how like all those like you know artisan entertainment movies and stuff from the 90s kind of worked so i'm hoping maybe we're moving more back to that a little bit maybe the streamers can kind of help with that the problem is so much of the streamers everything is like algorithm based and that is yeah. like not great so we'll see yeah it's like we'll see right now but we'll see but still cool to see you know what yeah. i mean that it's not just a bunch of like i said not a bunch of like big massive blockbuster kind yeah, of yeah yeah um so the holdovers <laughs> so you did you finish it i think i'm a, i think i have like 13 minutes left i i finished it uh-huh um i don't have a lot to say about it I'm yeah. sorry. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's fine. Like and look, I've liked Alexander. I mean, I and you know, like I compared um, American Fiction to Sideways, and like yeah. Sideways, I feel like is the last great Alexander Payne movie, mm. and The Holdovers is like. I feel like Alexander Payne just kind of lost his teeth at some point, you know, because like he used to do really pretty 
biting, funny, you know, because you started with movies like Election and about oh. Schmidt. Oh, wow. Like, um, moved on to Sideways. And then it's like been a lot of movies like The Descendants in Nebraska. And it's kind of much more like sort of gently kind of funny, sort of meandery kind of. Yeah. And like, just like The Holdovers is like fine. I didn't connect really to anything in it. Yeah. It kind of turns into like a road movie. And they're in like in Boston for a while. And like, yeah. I didn't care about anything <laughs> like, yeah body is like good but i don't i didn't care yeah that's the thing is that it's it's it is we were, we were i said this a little earlier to you i'm not sure who this movie is for i don't think it's for me which is fine that doesn't make mm-hmm. it good or bad yeah i like i can't it's say it's not, a bad movie at all. no like performances are good and all of those things it's just that i for whatever reason like couldn't re I, I like couldn't hook into it yeah and i found myself like wandering away from it and then coming back to it and mm-hmm. you know for different reasons than i did with killers of the flower moon like a lot of i had mess somebody i was t- like texting with somebody and i was like I'm watching killers of the flower moon i feel maybe it was you and i feel like i have been watching it all day yeah and i and me. i yeah. I hadn't been, but I was like, I feel like I've been watching this movie for seven hours. I will say, like, part of my animosity to Killers of the Flower Moon probably comes from at least half of it I watched yesterday when I was, like, having back problems. Right. Like, so watching that movie with, like, a bad back was, like, maybe not the way to do it. But Right. And I'm not, like, listen... I'm not advocating advocating for like the TikTokification of movies. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I, I'm not saying what I'm about to say because I think that humans have a shorter attention span. Mm-hmm. However, if you were going to give me two hours or more of a movie, in my opinion, you have to earn that time from mm-hmm. me. That is no, a long time. There's a lot of stuff I could do with over two hours, over three hours. And if you were asking me to spend that much time sitting in front of your movie, you just have to, you have to earn it. And I am certain that there are people who feel like Killers of the Flower Moon earned it, like Holdovers mm-hmm. earned it, like Past Lives earned it. Fantastic. Amazing. Right. It didn't for me. Well, look, I mean, I you can say it's an attention span thing, but like, I don't, I think, you know, like Holdovers to me i mean like we talk, i don't need to go back over killers of the farm because we've talked it to death but like you know for me holdovers is like i can't point to anything about that movie that's wrong with it other than i just don't think it's for me yeah like i found it kind of boring and i just didn't connect to it but i can do like a slow kind of movie because like another movie that i know a lot of people really struggled with that came out this year and i need to look up the title because i'm already forgetting the name of it uh hold on well, then it must not have been that good. Just kidding. <laughs> Another movie that came out uh, this last year that it was like kind of slower paced. You could say not a lot happens, but that I actually really kind of like really plugged into. But it is more like in my wheelhouse subject matter wise was Leave the World Behind. Just the Netflix, you know, kind of sort of vaguely apocalyptic movie with Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke. Right, 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 right. Um, and it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like kind of a dark apocalyptic movie, but also it's like not a lot happens in that movie, you know? Yeah. But I found it riveting, you know? So it's like, again, it's just like, if you give me something that I can plug into, I'll plug into it. And with a movie like The Holdovers, it just didn't have anything for me. 
Yeah. I think the right person. You know, I don't quite understand why it gets an Oscar nomination because it was like, I just, I feel like I've seen better versions of this type of movie, but like, you know, fine, whatever. Yeah. But it's like a good movie, I guess. I think for the right type of person, like I can understand why people like it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Just kind of like, okay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, I feel like I've already said more about it than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then we've got, we've got past lives. um, Yeah, I feel I. I I will be honest. It was a did not finish for me. Same. I didn't make it through. This is a very quiet movie. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a. I think that again. I think lovely story. All of those things. I think it like didn't have enough of like the like the fantasy aspects of romance mm-hmm. to like hook into the part of me that like loves a good romance movie. Mm-hmm. It didn't have enough conflict for me to be like, Oh God, I'm like super invested in like how these, how everybody's going to like end up and at the end. It's like a, it's a fine, sweet little quiet movie. Mm-hmm. Again, performances are great. I also think it's wonderful that it is. Um, I believe they are Korean. Yeah. I think it's great that like a good portion of the movie takes place. Like two characters are speaking Korean to each other. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that we are seeing a movie like this that is not about, you know, like historically attractive white people, mm-hmm. you know, everybody in it is attractive, but it's not like, you know, okay, well, of course this chick has like, you know, a ton right. of people in love with her. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, like I said, I believe the filmmaker is Korean Canadian. Okay. So it's like uh, uh, that, you know, it's that's a perspective we don't get very often. Honestly, exactly. this is, I feel like I just need to try again when I'm not uh, on painkillers. Maybe that was like, because I was, that was another one I was trying yesterday when my back was fucked up. Uh huh. And, and so, like, you know, everything, I, everything you just said, I agree with. But yeah. I, I couldn't, like, I kept falling asleep. And, and it was like, I, don't know if I can even say it was about the movie. So I feel yeah. bad about it, but I feel like I was not in the proper condition to deep try a movie like that. Yeah. But maybe I'll yeah. try and I'll, if I can, if I can, I'll give just my two cents down the yeah. road. <laughs> if you, if you find it and you know, maybe some, maybe at some point I'll try to kind of go back to it and see again, also a beautiful movie, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, really like beautifully shot, mm-hmm. but yeah, I was just sort of like, Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's p- more potential in that one for me maybe than The Holdovers. Because The Holdovers is also just a world I don't find particularly interesting. I feel like maybe past lives I'm more potentially interested in the, the world of these characters. I said this to somebody when Little Women came out. That mm-hmm. I was like, I just, I don't care. I don't care about <laughs> Little Women. And somebody was like, how can you say that? Like, it's Little Women. Like... You know, and I was like, mm-hmm. nothing about that book resonates with me. Mm-hmm. I did not come from a family. I don't have sisters. Right. This whole like dad's in the war and mom's here and we're like trying to keep it together. And I was like, it is just, it is not, I'm just not. Yeah. Massachusetts boarding school in 1970. Nothing there for me. Nothing there yeah. for me. And that's okay. This yeah. is, it's not a, it's not a value statement about the movie. It's just, it did not. These didn't necessarily right. resonate with either of us. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and again, I have nothing in common with like 
Korean Canadian people, but that's a world I'm more interested to learn about than like exactly. boarding school in 1970. Exactly. So, so we're going to give the holdovers and past lives a spilled popcorn bucket because we didn't finish yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> or, or just like didn't connect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can we move on? So I just want, I'm, I want to very briefly like talk a little bit more. I don't want to like belabor it, but talk just a little bit more about uh, the zone of interest. Cause you would ask a question about it. And I mm-hmm. feel like I just wasn't prepared to answer it properly. Okay. So I didn't give the best answer I could have. So okay. ask the question when we talked last time, you know, I was talking about kind of the setup of the movie, which is about the family of Rudolf Haas, who is the commandant of Auschwitz and like mm-hmm. how it's just this kind of family drama about this, you know, German Nazi family. And you would ask the question, you know, is this a story that we need to be told right now? Right. I, is it like a few point that we need? Right. And I it's a very fair question. After we were done recording, I kind of kept thinking and I realized I didn't really answer the question the way I would have liked. So I just want to like expand on my answer a little bit more, which is, okay. and, I, and I know I talked to you a little bit about it, but like, right. I guess my answer would be, it's like, that's not actually the viewpoint of the film. Right. It's not like, aren't these Germans so interesting? <laughs> Um, it's really about like, or like what, how are the Germans feeling how are about the Germans this? feeling about this? And and I should, by the way, mention that the the filmmaker Jonathan Glazer is Jewish. He's British. Um, he's a British Jew, mm-hmm. and his perspective basically, uh, and and the book is or the movie is actually loosely based on a novel by Martin Amis, but Glazer kind of moved away from the novel and decided to actually tell the true story. Okay. Of Rudolf Haas um, and his family. And basically his perspective was to really focus on not the Haases, but the fact of what the Haases were ignoring. So Mm -hmm. I used, when I was talking to you, I said, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, the problem with Holocaust films at this point is that we've seen so many of them. It's, it's really become like a genre or like, you know, when you watch a Holocaust film, it's just like, we know what to expect. Right. Right. You know, we've seen Schindler's List. We've seen all these movies. And even down to like, you know, the Indiana Jones versus the Nazis kind of thing. It's become like movie bad guys, you know? Right, right. And it's easy to kind of distance ourselves from it and forget that this is like real living history, you know? Right. And anti-Semitism isn't even history. This is like happening as we speak. Mm. And so I think Glazer's approach by basically showing us this family living literally on the other side of the wall from Auschwitz, but having the distance where it's like we're just a little bit wider angle from the family's perspective, mm-hmm. where it's we're actually seeing more than what they're seeing. We're hearing the screams and the gunshots that they're ignoring. Mm-hmm. So I compared it to um, actually the subject of your story last time, Anna Mendieta mm-hmm. and her, and I'm forgetting the name of the uh, art project, but it's where she spilled the, the, the blood and viscera in front of her apartment mm-hmm. and then filmed the people basically ignoring it and stepping over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, if it was just about the blood and guts on the ground, that's like a very surface level, you know, that, and to me, that's like the death metal fucking the shit of the dead <laughs> statement. Mm-hmm. It's like, isn't that fucked up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the statement, the art is watching the people ignore it. Mm-hmm. You know, so like the Holocaust movie, like the typical Holocaust movie that we've seen and that we've kind of gotten numb to is the like the blood and guts on the ground. But the zone of interest is 
the camera across the street watching people step over it. And the way I thought about it is like one is something that's already happened mm-hmm. and one is something that's still happening right now. And what was really powerful to me about the film is it really made me think about the current moment where we are living in a moment where people are kind of willfully ignoring the anti-Semitism that, that is happening in the world right now. I mean, there was just a shooting this morning where a woman shot up, I think, a megachurch in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. And it turns out, you know, it was all based on anti-Semitism and you know, really? all her anti-Semitic writings and stuff. Really? Yeah. Because she went to Joel Olstein's church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is... And I don't know all of the details about it, but I think she had like um, a lot of anti-Semitic writings. Um, I think she had a Palestine flag on her rifle, like a sticker on her rifle. Like, oh, you know, I don't want to get into the Palestine-Israel thing. Obviously, this is, um, and I'm not going to defend Israel. But one thing that obviously happened on October 7th is a really vicious attack by Hamas on Jewish people. And I witnessed a lot of people willfully ignoring it because it complicated the narrative. And so for me, watching a movie about people willfully ignoring the murder of Jews in that moment, it's just, to me, it was a very powerful statement to have that movie come out right now. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not to like ignore the Islamophobia and the murder of Gazans. And, you know, you know, obviously these are all tragedies that need to be focused on. But um, but that's why, to me, The Zone of Interest is an important film because it is so different than your typical Holocaust film and because mm-hmm. the perspective is so different. Yeah. If it was just about, like, let's look at some Nazis living their lives, yeah, fuck that movie. But it's because right. it's got that, like, slightly wider angle. Right. And like Jonathan Glazer said, it's like the uh, the real movie is what's happening on the other side of the wall. Right. It's not a fun movie. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, it's yeah. not a crowd pleaser, but I think it's important. It's an important film. And I think people should see it and really yeah. think about what it says about what's happening right now. So, right. There. So that's, that's my fuller answer to your question. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Moving on. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, Why don't you talk about Godzilla minus one? Because mm-hmm. I don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> so two movies and i think we should wrap things up pretty quick yes um i want to just very briefly because two movies that i think got a lot of kind of oscar buzz but then didn't get any nominations i do want to kind of talk a little bit about godzilla minus one sure well because i do actually think it probably did deserve an oscar nomination it's probably okay. like if i'm to rank my favorite movies right now like i said my favorite movie is an argentinian horror film that wasn't going to be nominated so you know we'll just right. take that out of the running but like i you know put oppenheimer and american fiction kind of tied for number one and then i'd probably put like zone of interest and godzilla kind of tied for number two <laughs> okay godzilla you know it's a little weird saying oh this movie should have been nominated i certainly would have put it ahead of the holdovers you know it's like it's weird to say about a godzilla film but it's like it's a beautiful film it's a beautiful kind of rumination about the trauma of world war ii and Mm. specifically the trauma of the atomic bomb on -hmm. japan you know godzilla has always represented the atomic bomb which was news to me when you told me that yeah and and a lot of people don't know that and of course godzilla over time has become just like a kaiju you know right even in japan he's kind of become like almost like a superhero or like right. a Saturday morning cartoon. But if you go back to the original Godzilla from 1954 and think about, you know, this giant 
atomic monster waiting ashore and destroying Tokyo. This is nine years after the bombs were dropped. Wow. You know? Yeah. And the, those original filmmakers have always said, you know, Godzilla absolutely represented <laughs> um, the atomic bomb. Yeah. Um, Godzilla Minus One is, it's it's not a remake of the original Godzilla, but it's like taking the themes of the original. It's the first Godzilla film I've seen since the original that I think fully takes the themes of the original, kind of takes almost the structure of the original, and then reimagines it with like the reflection of almost a century of looking back. Wow. Yeah. And it deals with like the guilt of a nation and what it put its own people through. You know, the mm. the lead character is a failed kamikaze pilot. Oh wow. He feels like he let his country down because he didn't kill himself. Wow. You know, in service of his nation, you know. Yeah. It's all about the people sort of rallying to like defeat the trauma that is represented by this monster that has suddenly shown up. Mm-hmm. Also the government letting them down. So the people have to rise to like, mm. the, and then just, it's a fucking badass fucking monster. movie. <laughs> like it's, and it's the first Godzilla film I've ever seen that actually is frightening. Yeah. Like, like, genuinely scary. So right. um, if you like, or just like, oh, it's another Godzilla film, whatever. Like, no, it, it's like legitimately, like this is like a legitimately prestige film. And I think people should give it a shot. The one thing I will say is like, keep in mind, like acting styles in Japan are somewhat different yeah. than in this country. So like, don't fool yourself into thinking it's bad acting. It's it's just, it's a different approach to acting. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't go in with like your cultural chauvinism of, the u.s (laughs) it's it's interesting because we were actually like we were talking about this in relation to society of the snow because i had Mm -hmm. i had asked you if you had watched it with subtitles Mm -hmm. and there is i don't think that this is a spoiler i won't give away the actual character but if you know anything about the story or if you listen to the episode where i told this story you know that there is an avalanche Right. Um, a portion of the way into, you know, the story. Mm-hmm. And I'd asked you if uh, I'd asked you if you remembered what had been said when a certain character was found dead from the avalanche. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> in Spanish, the other character who finds him is, is essentially it would translate to he's saying my love, my heart mm-hmm. um, and those things. And there were it was like one of those things where I was like, there was a bit of me that was like, is it? Was there something? And then I was like, no, man, this is just, it's like really a very accurate portrayal about how Latino men, like the tenderness that exists, that can exist between Latino men and like how affectionate they are with each other. And then we started talking about this as well, that it's interesting to see that there are going to be cultural blind spots if you are an American viewer and your Mm -hmm. mind is going to be like, is going to jump to something like, oh, this is bad acting or, oh, this is gay right. because we lack the awareness of other mm. cultures. Yeah. And I only bring it up because I have seen some reviews or people online complaining about Godzilla saying like the acting is quote melodramatic. And it's like, no, it's a movie not. about a, It's a movie about a monster coming out of the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> there's <What>? that. <laughs> but even within that context, I think people are just not understanding that like there's there's just a different like kind of uh, cultural vernacular when it comes to acting 
in in mm-hmm. Japan and 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 some of the Asian acting styles. We'd also talked about it in comparison to like telenovelas yeah. from Latin America. That it's 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 not that it is bad acting; it is simply a different style. It's a different acting. style. So so you know, keep that in mind when you see it. But it really is like Society of the Snows, like you said. It's you know you you have to kind of de-Americanize your mind a little bit. But if you yeah. can do that, I mean, these are beautiful films and should yeah. be kind of. Taken for what they are, not what we like impose on them. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Decolonize your your uh, movie viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. There we go. Okay. So should speaking we... of decolonizing, can we talk a little bit about a British film? <laughs> just sure. very, just very quick. I know we want to wrap things up, but I do want to talk a little bit because I know some people are real mad that this didn't get any nominations. Also, I don't really know what you thought of it, and I, uh, I just saw it uh, this weekend. A uh, salt burn. Yes. Well, what did you? What did you? May, was so should we say real quick what the movie's about and then just talk about what we think thought of the film yes so saltburn is uh about here's the imdb this is just what i'm gonna do because this is gonna go sure. faster than if you and i try to tell it yeah, uh the fine. imdb synopsis blurb is a student at oxford university finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten the student is oliver played by barry keoghan and mm-hmm. the classmate, the aristocratic classmate, is Felix, played by uh, the very tall Jacob. You lordy, I think. Thank you. I was looking at it, and I was like, "Fuck, I don't actually know how to pronounce this name." I mean, I took I took a guess. So, you lordy, I think that I think you're about I think you're about right. Yes. That is what the movie is about. And if that synopsis sounds like the talented Mister Ripley, you're not wrong. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is a movie that I heard a lot about. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of things that I like knew going into it. I actually think this movie was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think this movie was really funny. I think it was really weird. I think it was perverse and I think it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's great. I think great performances all the way around. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm saying it's funny, uh, also like pretty like uh, like it's disturbing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's definitely there's definitely like things in there, which is like I'm not talking about the bathtub scene. I'm not talking about which I couldn't watch. Like I'm not (laughs) grossed out by much, but I literally had to cover my eyes. I will also say that I like saw it start to happen and I was like, ooh, I'm going to just look away for a moment until it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just like a that's that's like a body fluid ick. Mm -hmm. It's it's also like, you know, Ollie Oliver Mm -hmm. uh, goes down on another character while she's on her period. That was a lot. That was squeam central for a lot of people. That less squeak that squicked me out less than the bathtub. Good for you. You know what I'm saying? Um, (laughs) There was without giving too much away. There was progressive. (laughs) Progressive. Nancy Pelosi clap at you. Um, uh there was the grave scene which i guess i won't get i I don't want to get like too much into everything for people Mm -hmm. who haven't seen it but also it's also been out for a minute so yeah people are talking about these things yeah i honestly think like the grave scene happened 
and it came up and I was like, he's, he's going to do this thing to the grave. And then I was like, there he goes. Good, yeah, good for that, him. Actually, that was the one moment where I kind of found myself rolling my eyes a little bit. I, I, like, d- I did not, but I was just like, this is escalating in a way that like, mm-hmm. this is where we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a movie about a, deeply like psychopathic person mm-hmm. i mean it's getting a lot of fun. i made the talented mr ripley comment because it's getting a lot of flack for essentially being like almost a retelling of the talented mr ripley but it is like it's it's i think that's very intentional like i think it's very much like i don't think emerald Fennell, the the filmmaker or the writer director mm-hmm. like trying to hide that i think it's like it's a riff on the talented mr ripley yeah and it's it's like it's like the talented mr ripley through like a crazy psychotic funhouse like blender of like crazy yeah i think there is also a distinction that needs to be made and i'm not remembering Mm -hmm. talented mr ripley that well but Mm -hmm. there's i heard from people that they were like i kind of didn't like it because it ends up we're we're living in a very we're very much living in an eat the rich type of world. Mm -hmm. And there are people who I think, I think mistakenly are taking this as, Oh, the rich people were the good guys. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to like, essentially feel bad for these like Uber rich people. And then the like normal person is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is you willfully ignoring where Ollie actually comes from. Mm -hmm. I know that he doesn't live in an estate, but I saw the way I saw it that I was like, this is perfect, is that you this is talking about like the five percent eating the point one percent. So it is like it's still yeah. all like if we were gonna quote unquote eat all of the rich, Ollie's family would probably have been eaten as well. This is sure. yeah. and I I think that it is I think that it is a very interesting examination of how for some people nothing will ever be enough mm-hmm. even if yeah. you have everything i think have, that's exactly right yeah like you were not necessarily wanting for anything you were always going to be like but i could have more mm-hmm. so i i don't i don't think that ollie is middle class i think ollie's upper upper middle class that's what that's the way i interpreted it right? yeah i mean the family's like oh on our vacations to greece every year and i'm like that's not that's Exactly. Can you can are, can you take a yearly vacation to Greece? Right. No. I can't exactly. even take a yearly vacation to Santa Fe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's um, been like a big. That's been a big thing that I'm just like. I think you're kind of missing some critical mm-hmm. information here uh, right. about this. Because I and I what I think is interesting about that is that you have allowed yourself to be fooled by Ollie. Like everybody mm-hmm. else was. I think and that's a good way to put it. Actually, that's I hadn't thought of that, but I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I did think about that. Like the the I think some people are kind of misinterpreting him. Also, mm-hmm. I think people are not. I think there's like people don't understand what black comedy is because this is a black comedy, and people don't understand. And I know I've talked about it a little bit with you. I probably brought it up on the podcast. But the definition that I learned of black comedy, which is, you know, like a typical movie or a story is, you know, you're obviously you're trying to build empathy between us and the characters. Mm-hmm. And a black comedy is you're not really supposed to feel empathy for anyone. You're sp- mm-hmm. it, it, it reverses our sense of empathy where really it's all about contempt. It's yeah. about feeling contempt for the characters on screen. And our empathy is for the author. So the author becomes the hero. And it's like us on the outside being like, look at these fucking people. 
Right. And I feel like this is very much a black comedy because I don't like who are we supposed to empathize with? Yeah. At all. Everyone is like maybe the least contemptible person in there is, and I'm forgetting uh the character's name, but the guy that he's uh obsessed with, the Felix. Felix. The Jacob, yeah. Um, who is one of the you know one of the one percenters <laughs> because he seems like he's like maybe like sort of got decent intentions in his own kind of clumsy-ish way but like mm-hmm. he's still very much a like myopic rich kid you know yeah who, who, I wanted... who, like ali ali is very much a toy to him you know the shot of him when he's reading like harry potter and the goblet of fire i don't i like cackled i straight up was like what i think there's i think there's a part of the movie that is like weirdly like a comment on harry potter where i feel like ollie is like this weird dark harry potter and like the kid who at the beginning is like who was like oh, like i'm into maths is like this weird ron Weasley. Uh-huh. Like, because, like, that whole, like, dining hall they're in is, like, that's seriously, like, the the fucking I mean, dining hall. Yeah, hall. it's hard, too, because I think that's, like, how all British schools are. Yeah. <laughs> so but I feel like that. I feel like there's a little bit of a, like, we're tweaking the whole Harry Potter world a little <laughs> bit. No, I, I thought the movie was hilarious. Like, mm-hmm. I absolutely think it's uh, meant to be. And, like. The things people are pointing to where it's like, like another criticism I've seen is people are like, like nothing Ollie does is like actually matches any sort of real human psychology. And I'm like, who cares? Because it's meant to be absurd. It's meant to be this like absolutely absurdist black comedy. Like, I don't know that we're supposed to take him as like a realistic character in that kind of sense you know he's 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 like Heath Ledger in the Dark Knight he's this chaos agent that is like thrown into the middle of this world you know this is the like okay I I don't want to go off on a rant but I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rant go for it okay I need people (laughs) to just embrace suspension of disbelief Mm -hmm. a little bit And to understand that there are movies where they are very much set in a real world and they are based on ideas of real people. Mm -hmm. And then there are other movies Mm -hmm. that are clearly based in fantasy. And then there is a whole spectrum of stories that lies in between the two points. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's, it's a little bit like the, you know, the people... In and of itself, which is something that I believe you and I have talked about on mm-hmm. this, uh, Derek Delgadio's one man show, which is on Hulu. And if you can go watch it, go watch it. It's fantastic. Yeah. But I talked to two types of people about that thing. And there were either people who were like, oh, my gosh, I like completely like fell into it. Like I was amazed at like the magic and stuff. I thought it was fantastic. And then there was another group of people that was, was, was trying to figure out how it was done. And I was like, just stop. Embrace Just stop. Stop trying to know everything well, all the time. Yeah. And just like, it's not even about enjoying something. It's not about like, just allow yourself to be entertained by it. But it's like, stop, stop trying, stop trying to prove that you were smarter than the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, that's the thing is, it's like people are trying. It, it's, it's my beef with like people who watch horror movies and try to make them like make sense. Mm hmm. 
in a rational way. And and I think there's a way to watch Saltburn as a horror movie because like if you had changed the Catton family where they were less absurd and less of a black comic kind of construction. Yes. You know, they're they're the normal rational world. And then you throw in Ollie as this like almost horror character where he's this like I said, this chaos agent that like, mm-hmm. you know, um this like uh, intruder, right? Right. This this like irrational other into their world you know then it would play like a horror movie but the fact that they're also so absurd is what makes it you know so he is this chaos agent that like exposes their absurdity yes and so that's why it becomes such a black comedy but to me it's not a black comedy psychological thriller which is what a lot of the what a lot of the uh the reviews are saying to me it's like a black comedy slash gothic horror yeah and that's that's the way to watch it because like um if you take it at that level then like yeah there's there's no there's no need to try and rationalize it but yeah i think that's the mistake that that people are making with this film is as they're trying to put it in a rational context and it's like i mean the moment that uh frankly he goes down on her in the fucking courtyard is the moment you should be like that's not like we're not in you think that i think i think it happens before then i I mean it's well before but but if you haven't figured it out by then you should have figured it out yeah because to me it's the bathtub where it's really we're like oh we're we're okay we're doing that's right the bathtub is before that yeah, we're dealing with something else. Yeah, exactly. Here. And this isn't to say that you can't look at things with a critical eye. I just mm-hmm. watched a movie yesterday that I got to the end of it and I was like, uh, wait. Because to me, there were a lot of loose, there was things that were brought up and then never never talked about ever again. There were people whose relationships were never explained. Like there was a lot of stuff that I was like, I am fine with with ambiguity, but now I have questions, but I don't have answers to them. And so now I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to take this. Mm -hmm. I will, however, say that with this, I completely understand that there, this movie might be based in some tropes that I might not be that familiar with. Cool. Movie. Just curious, what movie? It's Lisa Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll yeah. talk about that down the road. Yeah. Say. Yeah. But, you know, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a good time. Whatever. It's just, I think it's this thing of, like I said, like, I, I don't I don't know that energy spent on trying to be smarter than the movie is really energy that is well spent. Well, I just think, like, not that he was the world's greatest film critic, or that mm-hmm. he always adhered to this principle. Mm-hmm. But I like the Roger Ebert approach of like, try to evaluate a movie on its own terms. You know, try try to ask yourself, what is the movie trying to do? And then ask if it succeeds at what it's trying to do. Right. So like, I look at like, what what is Killers of the Flower Moon trying to do? Okay, it was trying to be a Goodfellas type crime thriller, which I think was the wrong approach based on what the text offered. Mm-hmm. And I get failed at that because of the central performance of Leonardo DiCaprio like mm-hmm. that so that's why i'm so critical of that film you yeah. know i think you know it was trying to do a thing and it didn't do it well what is saltburn trying to do it's trying to be like i said a black comedy gothic horror movie very much the way that i know we talked about this on my other podcast but mm-hmm. uh very much the way frankly uh follow the house of usher on netflix is right and like, this is also not the most similar thing i could think of right um 
And that's another thing. Like, if you try to make that make sense, it's not going to make sense in a rational way. You know? Right. And I will say that this is also um, not the first time that, I mean, it's not the exact same criticism, but Emerald Fresnel, is that his name? Or is that her name? Yeah. She's she a promising is, young woman. As yeah. Well. She's yeah. kind of gotten some of these types of criticisms lobbed at her before. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder what the difference is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because everyone loves Mike Flanagan, uh, like us, like we mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's like I think that there is um there is a like a group there's a demographic of people that are like you make movies that are icky and you're mm-hmm. a woman and I don't like that. Yeah, well because uh, a lot of people who are not liking this movie are really focusing on the period blood and the bathtub scene. Now I didn't like the bathtub scene. Not that I think that it was like wrong for it to be in the movie or whatever. It's just because I went yeah, and turned away. But My, it's like, but that's what she was going for, you know. So yes, like, and I think success, it's successfully done. Emerald. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Tina Fey's book Bossy Pants, mm-hmm. and she's talking. She's talking. She's talking about how much she loves Amy Poehler, which is mm-hmm. just like really lovely to read about two women who just love each other that much. But right. she's talking about how much she loves Amy Poehler, and she's talking about how when Amy Poehler came into Saturday Night Live, Tina Fey was like so excited, and they were like in the writers' room, and they were joking around and doing all this stuff, and the guys were like telling all these gross jokes, and Amy Poehler's in there, you know, going toe to toe with these guys and being just as gross as they are, and all of that stuff. And Jimmy Fallon, who Tina Face is, says that the like in the book, she's like who was like the SNL darling at the time, mm. right? Like, like did this little like wait. He was all, ooh, ooh, I don't like it. It's not cute. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, Tina Fey says that Amy Poehler hopped up on the table and got in his face and goes, I don't give a fuck if you don't like it. Uh-huh. And I was, I kind of feel that way. Good for her. Yeah. Emma Fennell's movies is that she's like, I don't care. I yeah. Don't care no, it's like, like, I had, I definitely had the Jimmy Fallon reaction to the bathtub <laughs> scene. And I feel like, but I feel like, like Emerald Fennell would be like, good. Yeah. And like and and my reaction to her like reaction to me would be like, no, yeah, you're right. Well done. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> two, two, two uh like hot takes that I've seen about the bathtub scene. Well, like all of the like subversive mm-hmm. scenes in that movie, but most of them lead with the bathtub scene. Two hot takes that have brought me a lot of joy is one, people being like <laughs> What kind of vanilla life do you have if the scenes in Saltburn icked you out? Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, okay, don't like lack of kink shame. Like everybody, <laughs> everybody's into what they're into. And okay, you're super cool because you like the idea of drinking, you know, bathwater oh, that's I'll been ejaculated was, in. I'll tell you what it was about the bathtub scene, actually. Okay. It's the slurping sounds. It is. It the was, slur- it's yeah. kind of the the ASMRness of it. I yeah. did not enjoy. Yeah. I think, like like I said, I I was really not bothered by the period blood scene. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, you you guys fucking have fun, you kids. Get but in like, it. Yeah. Get in it. Get <laughs> at it. But like the but yeah, I was just like, do I just not enjoying he- hearing him like drink fucking chicken soup out of the bathtub the other hot take that i saw about this was people being talking about that scene and why it bothered them and being like it's because like i'm grossed out about how dirty the bathtub is Mm -hmm. and my favorite then like 
secondary hot take to that is people being like, do you think that in that house, that bathtub isn't getting cleaned every day? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like these are people who are living in a fucking English manner with mm -hmm. a full-time staff. You think that bathtub isn't being scrubbed? It's not your mm -hmm. bathtub. Like we get it. You don't want to drink. You don't want to lick the drain of your bathtub, mm -hmm. but that's a clean bathtub. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think it's fine to be grossed out by those things, those scenes, because I think she's like trying to gross you out. Yeah. But I don't think at any point, I don't think at any point was she pulling an Olivia Wilde with whatever, what was the movie? Um, I'm forgetting the name of it. We never pretty, pretty movie. little, pre what the fuck was the name of that movie? Uh, uh something darling, that movie, that movie, yeah, <sighs> that's gonna bother me so bad now. Um, but <laughs> I don't think Emerald Fennell is trying to do what Olivia Wilde did with that movie, which is like, ooh, we're gonna make this like really sexy. I think she was like, I this, I want this to, I want people to be like, yeah, which is why I think she very specifically put oral sex while the receiving partner is menstruating because mm -hmm. that is a deeply polarizing mm -hmm. sexual activity. Right. Deeply. People are either team for it or team against it. And you will mm -hmm. not find a lot of people on the in-between. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't think that she was trying to like make sexiness happen in that movie. I think that she was like, be bothered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's like, but the point, but that was the point. I mean, the point was just to like, to to get a visceral reaction and, yeah. and uh, like have us like, I and mean, I think there's just, I mean, and it's the thing with, with black comedy. Black comedy is constantly sort of trying to make you run the other direction. It's constantly, and a lot of horror movies are this way, is like they're trying to make you like run away from it. Right. It's like constantly daring you. And then like the risk is you fall into fucking the shit of the dead territory. <laughs> You know, um, so you're always like riding that line. And what I respect is a, something that can ride that line and stay on the side where it's like smart and not just like shock value for the sake of shock value and like falling into just being like dumb and kind of like, mm -hmm. like bro -y, like <laughs> that's fucked up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which like she's not doing. Like she's no, it's it's more in the like, again, in the Anamendieta camp of like, I'm gonna shock you with something to make you think about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. And to, I, I think to like have a visceral reaction, like deep in your bones, not to like, you know, be like, fucking yeah. shit of the dead. And I think we need to come up with an acronym for that or whatever it's called, an anagram. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many times I can hear fucking the shit of the dead, <laughs> especially in one episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What was it? The F T S O D F T S O D F T S O D. Yeah. Or I, th I guess it would technically be F T S O T D, which is more of a mouthful. We can skip the, the F T S O D. We'll, we'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> Add that to the lexicon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I it's, it is, uh, if you were deeply bothered by it, I think that that was exactly the point. If you were titillated by it, good for you. Yeah, I think, you I know? mean, I think she's like, yeah, she's like leaving all options open there. And like, you know, because I, I do know some people, I've read some people like the grave scene, some people were super turned on by that. You know, and I think some of it's just because like Barry Keoghan has his I'm going to, you know? yeah, it's, it's, I'm reminded of the scene, I, I guess. Listen, if 
I guess we're not completely giving away the ending. If you listen, slight spoiler, he humps the grave. Like, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say whose yeah. grave he's humping. I'm just going to say that and he, humps it. and he humps it. He he has sex with a freshly dug grave. Yeah. And the thing about that is, is that like, it's, I, I'm reminded, I was reminded of the scene in one of the last, it was an episode in the last season of Sons of Anarchy that showed Jax having sex with somebody. And I knew so many people of all genders who were like, that is one of the hottest things I've ever seen. If it had been, and it's just, you know, when you can see somebody and you're like, hey, they're doing a thing and they look like they're probably pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. You're going to be yeah. like, I like that. That looks and cool. Nicely sculpted body to boot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is a, uh, and I, I I feel like people went into this movie being like, ooh, Barry Keoghan is kind of like making me feel things. And now people are like, I still feel those things about him. And I don't know how to feel about those feelings. Mm-hmm. I think anymore. I think he's, he's been doing that to people for a few years, uh, I think, because of his the movie choices he makes. Mm-hmm. And like he's he's an interesting actor. He's in one of those Yorgos Lanthimos movies that's like a vomit sandwich to me, but but I like him as an actor. I think yeah. he's really interesting. And uh, I, I'm, again, I don't want to spoil anything. I'm not going to say where it falls, but there is a dance sequence in Saltburn yes. that is, um, let's just say it's fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, and I'm just like, good for you, Barry Keoghan. Yeah. I, <laughs> good for Very you. Very enjoyable. Again, yeah. Nancy Pelosi clap. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right, shall we? Where we've been going for a while, shall we wrap? Yeah, in? let's wrap this up. Okay, that is our uh, that's our Oscar talk. We'll be back, you know, next time with our regularly scheduled programming with yeah. a possible change. Yeah, should we talk about? Should we talk about some of the things we're talking about? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to switch over uh, for a little bit. We're going to see how it goes. If you all hate it, gently Ooh. let us know in the comments. <laughs> okay, we are humans on the other side yeah. of this. Um, but, you know, we've been getting a lot of feedback that what you guys really love about this podcast is the banter between Scotty and I. And when we both do a story in each episode, it can kind of cut down on the amount of banter because we're not trying to give you guys three hour episodes. So, For the next little bit, we're going to experiment with a one story, an episode format. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever it starts with, one episode will be Scotty telling a story and then the next episode will be me telling a story. Um, And hopefully that'll leave room for all of the, you know, the banter and the weird information that you guys Mm -hmm. know and love. And maybe in just a slightly more digestible time frame format. Yeah. Um, So the idea is just like to give the episodes a little bit more breathing room and give yeah. us a little bit more like chatting room. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Uh, yeah. And like, We're- like I said, if you guys really miss the, the double, the double story thing, we'll, we'll, we'll reconvene. Well, we'll kind of discuss. So let us know again, gently, you know, <laughs> don't yell at us. Yeah. If you <laughs> love it, you can if you love it, you can feel free to be um, roughly enthusiastic with your love for it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and yeah, but let us know because we would we would love to know y'all's feedback about this. 
Also, if you're at this point and you're listening to us on Spotify, go ahead and smash that five-star review button. If you have not subscribed to our podcast and whatever uh, listening format you are partaking in, go mm-hmm. ahead and do that. Stuff like subscribes, likes, reviews, all helps us get seen by more people and would let this thing like grow and become super cool. You know, we keep we keep teasing merch, but, you know, yeah, we'd love to give that to you if we have the 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 audience for it. Share the podcast, send it to your grandma. Maybe not this episode. Um, <laughs> with the grave humping and the fucking. Yeah, with the grave episode. humping yeah. and the, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, share it with your grandma, share it with your friends, repost our stuff on, on social media. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, we hope you're having as good of a time listening to this as we are having doing it. And as always, stay weird, stay curious, and, you know, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Friends will blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing.